Hello and welcome to FuturePod. I'm Rebecca Meat. The COVID-19 pandemic is rolling around the world, distinguishing expected futures and opening up the possibilities of different ones. At FuturePod, we have decided to speak to our previous guests to ask them what this moment in time means for them and more importantly for us all. If you'd like to know more about the guests we speak to, then please visit their earlier interview on the website futurepod.org. Today, our guest is Deborah Bateman. Welcome, Deb. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, So for the listeners, Deb, um, if you could just start off with where you are in the world and what's going on around you. Sure. Um, Well, my name's Deb Bateman. Uh, I'm a professor at Flinders University. I'm the Dean Education of the College of Education, uh, Psychology and Social Work. Uh, Our motto is around transforming the world transforming its people. So it's a pretty significant time, I think, to be in the world where we face a pretty major disruption. Mm, absolutely. And you're physically in Australia and... Yeah, so I'm in beautiful Bedford Park where I'm overlooking some extraordinary gum trees and lots of native <laughs> Australian trees with a beautiful waterform in the middle and wonderful kind of sunshine at the moment, which is quite a Beautiful. Treat. Autumn weather. So, Deb, tell us a bit about what you've been seeing and experiencing and any sort of reflections that you've had as we've, we're in this unusual, um, moving more towards being the usual way of being in the time of coronavirus. Sure. I think um, I think it's a really interesting time to be in the world, uh, to be of the world and for the world. Um, I think there are some really big kind of shifts to the structures of how we've organised the world that um, are being challenged at this point in time. Um, you know, the big constructs in our world of interdependencies, power, dependence, um, who has access to security, questions around equity and access, Um, new class kind of emergences, who uses technology, who doesn't, um, you know, who's now employed, who's not employed. I think these kind of disruptions and all of the associations around them are are really challenging us to recalibrate the kind of organisational structures and social structures that have really been kind of developing over a very long history. you know, if you think about the major paradigm shifts that have occurred before, and I think there's there's some opportunities within this disruption to really explore the things that are presenting as as moments of discomfort, uh, of our you know weights of the past, our our kind of pushes of the present, our pulls of the future, and what it is to be kind of almost temporarily trapped at this point in time, not sure you know how to pivot. I I think what's really interesting at the moment is the almost intuitive futures that is starting to appear within the um, mainstream discourse of our world. You know, if you think about, uh, I don't think I've ever been in so many meetings where everybody is an expert on planning different scenarios and and even exploring the the what might happen. Um, And they've heard the language of scenarios, but But what we're starting to see is this kind of genuine application without the actual kind of training or people are starting to look for these kind of um, 
fields, areas and tools. Uh, we're starting to see much more discussion about the idea of causality and effect or consequence. Um, I, you know, it's hard to have imagined that discontinuities, you know, would be such a kind of prevalent form of language and provocation for us to kind of explore the what next. And I think this idea of even the language of um, futures imagining post-COVID, you know, we've kind of now got this post-COVID era or this post-COVID, you know, it's the PC in a whole different way that I think we're seeing the emergence of a scepticism in the world. You know, if I think about those deep assumptions that Sahail has talked about for a long time in causal layered analysis and, and, you know, the exposing of those deep paradigms and those deep structures and those deep cultural kind of entrenchments that we have embodied, taken for granted and that over time, you know, we're seeing the challenges of things like surveillance and human tracking and and who has the ability to kind of watch who it it feels a bit like an orwellian kind of piece of work you know it takes me back to the whole future shock if you think about this has only been three months four months since the the first kind of cases of covid were discovered and i think globally there's kind of been these different responses you know in terms of a numbness to a resistance or a denial or a, and I think when Top Hat was thinking about future shock, you know, there are dimensions of that that we're living now. And, and I think the final big kind of observation that I would make in, in this kind of line would be around what it is to be considered essential or non-essential mm. in the world. And those classifications of who's essential to work, who's essential to health, who's essential to have care, who's vulnerable, and these different ways of classifying cohorts of people in our world are also suggesting the emergences of new social orders to, to varying degrees. And and that brings kind of, I think, uh, a dichotomy of, of both a trepidation, you know, come fear, mixed with, you know, the excitements of incredible opportunities to reframe how we participate in the world, who we think we are, and how we collectively kind of begin to shape our, our futures. And that sits within the discomfort of all of these incredibly powerful competing discourses that mm. we really have taken for granted for so long. You know, I think our social ways of being, um, you know, our sense of belonging, our sense of connection in the world, um, mm. what it to be at the moment. People feel jarred and dislocated. Humans are almost kind of positioned as spectators to the world, you know, and it's kind of that lack of agency and active participation while we wait for people in power to make decisions about when we come back to life in different forms. I think that's an incredibly pivotal kind of moment for us to reflect upon. Mm. Yeah, and, and that sort of internal world, as you're, as you're speaking to, is very much part of the whole picture, the whole experience, not just the things that are happening outside in terms of the virus and the economic changes and um, the, the connections to kind of the normal way of working and, and the way of operating, that way of being as humans, what we kind of previously just took for granted. In terms of that inner world, are there any kind of reflections in terms of your own personal reactions or to the reactions of what you see, whether your colleagues or students, or do you see anything specific around them 
Yeah, look, I, I think um, I think the kind of internal, external, I, one of the big observations I would make um, is, uh, and, and maybe even if I begin to explore it through my own experience, you know, I moved to South Australia, which is a different state to which my family are in for the academic and career kind of journey. Uh, I moved in November for the dream where I was going to be camping on the weekends because South Australia is so beautiful. Um, you know, I had this idea of being able to cross borders as often as I wanted to, to go and check in on my children who are still living in our house. Uh, mm. And all of those taken for granted assumptions are there. And and those things are really making me think about this idea of, um, you know, our, our we, we've moved probably over the last maybe 20 years uh, to think about ourselves as global citizens, you know, the cosmopolitan, uh, able to kind of barter for our flights, you know, to go anywhere, to be anywhere within a short period of time. And we're seeing this shrinking back of the big world to the small components of it. Um, when even, you know, we're, we're within a, a single country, um, but we can't cr- cross the internal borders is is kind of almost a shrinking back to that, you know, global, global, right down to the local now. And, and that sense of kind of you know, our multidimensional kind of citizenship, the temporality and the spatiality and all of this stuff is pretty extraordinary. Um, you know, if I think about our relationship to, you know, the state and the responsibilities of the state and the, the, the state as represented by government and politics and who represents us, but actually it's shifted. It's not about representation anymore. It's about who acts on our behalf and the level of confidence that we have and the power that is inherently kind of coupled within that. Uh, You know, people's, I'm I'm acutely aware of, um, you know, people around me and their lack of access necessarily to timely health or they've had to have surgeries Mm. kind of put on hold or, you know, um, and and there's this kind of privileging of careers around, you know, around who is really essential in the world, um, who's more important and what other services or structures kind of enable them to continue in order to kind of, uh, and, and that creates different hierarchies. I think families, you know, families are so, um, you know, renegotiating kind of how they interact and what their roles and functions are in the world at this point in time. You know, we we see the increased, um, I guess, questioning of safety and security of the family Mm. uh, Mm. and people in the family structure. Uh, If you think about the gendered kind of nature and constructions historically of the family, um, the, you know, who becomes the carer for whom, who's responsible when schools close down for the continuity of a student's learning and kind of that really, you know, female gendered kind of um, uh, linking, um, which which is increasingly becoming much more dominant in our social kind of discourses. Uh, if we think mm. about... What happens to the disruptions to family where we start to see rapid and massive unemployment? You know, I think about my own children, for example. My son uh, has been an incredibly hard worker. You know, he's in his final year of uni. He had four jobs that he was very proudly kind of managing amongst his studies 
because he had a sense of his what next. Uh, and, you know, it, it, within a day he'd lost all four. Um, wow. You know, that, that uh, you know, I know of people who are longstanding in their careers, you know, deep expertise. And, you know, the business is no longer sustainable after a deep history. So if you think about, we're not even talking about short-term short kind of disruption. Uh, and in Australia uh, and in South Australia um, and Victoria, you know, it's coming on the back of a previous disruption of massive bushfires. And mm. so it, it's kind of um, generating this, incredible kind of human resilience or this almost kind of tipping point, you know, and I, I think that these things are profoundly uh, affecting, um, you know, how we are. I, I think about young people and their engagement in their social worlds, you know, with the, with the closure of schools, for example, or people not being able to kind of connect physically. Um, you know, we see beautiful innovations. You know, I'm not sure if you've seen the bin movement, you know, where people dress up, do dances, take their bins yeah, out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that sense of wanting to belong, wanting to just remember that we're all here and we can have a bit of fun with it. But, yeah. you know, imagine what it's going to feel like. I can't even begin to tell you what it's going to feel like for me when I get across the border and I hug my kids again because, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, the, nothing can replace that sensate experience of being in the presence with somebody that you yeah. love, that you care for, and just to know that they're okay because, of course, yeah. all of this is happening, you know, in the background, this really unknown virus and and this dominant kind of idea that it's all going to be better and it's all going to go away and it's all and and I'm a Pollyanna and I really want to go for preferable and positive futures however there's so much we don't know and um and then I guess that's the other interesting thing is I love the fact that as a society we're starting to do that temporal scanning we're noticing moments where things have happened in history and we're trying to kind of extrapolate and kind of make sense of mm. and project kind of what happens. But I think we need to do much more because I think there are so many possibilities um, that are still kind of emergent. And depending on where you are in the world and how you're experiencing the world around you, uh, you know, I, I, in Australia we are incredibly fortunate that um, – at the cost of other countries, we were able to observe and kind of notice what was going on. And, and I guess our, our our governments kind of put very quick and rapid restrictions uh, on the interactions of people. But, you know, imagine what it's like to be living in the kind of civil unrest that uh, all the ethical dilemmas that are overwhelming people in terms of who lives and who doesn't, mm. who has things and uh, you know these are extraordinary provocations for us to engage with and just watching and seeing all different places that many of us have um, had the privilege of traveling to for holiday and leisure purposes and just having the 
the site and just hearing what horrific things and um, but also in terms of what beautiful things are happening in terms of the support around the healthcare workers and just the communities physically helping and supporting each other wherever wherever they can and just the beautiful music being played from balconies and little dance sessions happening within streets so that everyone can kind of stay socially distanced but also have a bit of fun and have a little bit of social interaction without that physical touch as well which is um, just totally what I've been seeing and, and sensing as well just in terms of that physical contact at the minute if you're lucky enough to have someone physically in your household as well you can give them a hug but there's a lot of people who live by themselves and just I think the yearning for that is really real particularly you know as you're going through um, stressful times this is a stressful time for everyone really except probably the family pets who are loving it because everyone's home (laughs) and getting lots of love and attention but um, if you're a human during this time no matter how much you can frame things in your mind you just I think are affected. Mm. I think it's interesting to imagine you know my deep passion is all about education and I kind of think about what it's like to be a beginning child in a school at this point in time and to be in that age bracket where this is how you are experiencing your world and coming into the world from the family or the childcare mm. or whatever kind of unit. I think education is a part that has faced major, major disruptions around the world and I think that some of the consequences that arise for those or some of the things that we need to think about moving forward about our schools, the roles of our teachers, what yeah. it is to be an educational leader, what you know, what is the role of a university, yeah. our, our reliances upon different student cohorts, the relationships between governments and schools, governments and teachers, mm, you know, mm. technologies as enablers, disruptors, translators of practice you know, the celebrity and superficial reader. There are so many things. And I see this disruption as an incredible opportunity to really take on some of the assumptions about education in our world. Some of those dominant assumptions that I'm really noticing are that anyone can supervise or facilitate learning, um, Mm, mm. that there is no special skill, that um, is enduring because you've known it once and you've done year one but you still know exactly what's current in the world now. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, that you even have a sense of what really goes on in a school and the nature of learning schools and the difference between the world of learning now compared to when you may have gone previously. I think, you know, there's a whole lot of ageist kind of things that we couldn't explore as a result of this disruption. You know, the assumption that an adult knows what a young person does or how they think just because they've been young before is is kind mm. of another thing. I think that schools provide incredible places for that social kind of cohesion, interaction, working out where we belong in the world. And, and they're things that are being missed, you know. I think there's a whole lot of young people as a result of this disruption around the world who may not return back to school at a time that they actually need to be kind of amongst their peers because they've lost their momentum or they haven't been able to have the support to continue or they they really have relied on that infrastructure. I think mm. the state of teachers um, is something that 
you know, teachers now are a frontline service across the world, you know, where schools are continuing. And I think those competing discourses of who's looking after the children compare as the role of a teacher as facilitating learning and the importance of the knowledge economy in our world for shaping futures and that critical kind of engagement. Um, mm. Uh, you know, these are massive macro kind of things for us to explore. And one of the disruptions that really comes out as a result of this time is what does it really mean to have a partnered education kind of system? We've we've had mm. lots of rhetoric about this in the past, but now we're kind of in a place where it happened or it was meant to happen and now it's kind of how do we get these kids back to school? Some of the memes, for example, you know, are pretty Extraordinary when you think about the ways that people pl are playing back. Maybe we have underestimated the value and the, you know, the professional status mm. of teachers in the world, the, the importance and the roles and the functions of schools, yeah. the modalities in which we need to be with each other and how we need to make that happen. What does it mean to design purposeful learning? And if ever there was a case <laughs> for futures in education, you know, mm. in curriculum as a core part of how we engage as educational citizens and prepare our young people for unknown, uncertain and probably facing ongoing disruptions and kind of recreating the world, it's now. And um, and that is kind of an interesting, interesting thing as well, that I would hate us to take for granted that there will be a return to what was because at the moment I think we see massive deficit discourses. If you think around the world about the messaging of recovery post-COVID, this is going to take us a long time to get over. Mm. You know, we need to get back to work because our economy is failing. Uh, mm. Actually, I think this is a moment, if ever, that we need to be brave, we need to be courageous, and we need to step in and participate in shaping those futures. This does not have to be a deficit. This could well be the moment that either locally, globally, individually, collectively, we really start to recalibrate in ways that start to kind of create preferable and shared futures. It's all about how we incorporate sufficient voices, sufficient kind of aspects of our world to be able to do it. Mm, that's excellent, Deb. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you wanted to share? We could keep on talking for um, a long time about this, but you've um, given us all some really great insights, I think, really, in terms of those really big macro things that are at play and um currently emerging and evolving and kind of that that real opportunity to not actually go back <laughs> and take the opportunity to, to really craft and contribute to the actual world and existence either locally or, or globally that we want to be in. Absolutely and I, I think that would be the key takeaway. This is this is our moment, you know, if we choose to mm. be in the world and if we want to take the opportunity to be with others and to work to kind of much more preferable futures. Wonderful. Thank you, Deb. My pleasure, Beck. Thanks for having me.